Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Crillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. This week, we've invited Adam Playford to join us. Adam is the Deputy Editor for Investigations here at the Times, and he oversees one of the best reporting teams in the country. Last year, one of their investigations, Heartbroken, was a Pulitzer finalist. We asked Adam to join us because one of our podcast listeners, Jordan Michael Smith, asked if we would answer a question. So today's topic, how do you find great investigative ideas? So Adam, how do you find great investigative ideas? (laughs) It's a really good question. You know, when I got that, I started thinking about it. And I feel like for most of the reporters I know, the problem isn't finding the idea, right? I mean, ideas are all around you. They're coming in as tips. You're seeing them on your beat. Um, You're seeing them out in the world. Um, In the old days, many, 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 many investigative reporters I know used to get some of their best ideas from reading briefs in the newspaper. And it would be like, you know, you'd see something. There's more there. (laughs) Yeah, you'd see something on 5B about like a little explosion somewhere, and you'd be like, oh, how often does that happen, you know? Um, I think that's harder these days just because there are fewer briefs in the newspaper. (laughs) But uh, so I think... I think you can kind of work on some foundational journalism skills. You can work on your sourcing. You can work on beats. I think having a good knowledge of how the world works is really important and knowing when something's unusual. Um, But I also think the harder part is taking of all those ideas and picking the one that could be a really good story. And so when I think about this question, that's kind of where I tend to go. I tend to go less like, how do you find it? And more, um, how do you know the thing you found is worth doing? How do you judge all those ideas and decide which ones you're really going to commit the time and effort to? Exactly. Yeah. And so, so, so many great investigative stories are stuff that reporters basically knew but never thought about writing out, you know, mm-hmm. or thought of that way. I mean, so often when you hear something around the newsroom that everyone's like, oh, yeah, everyone knows that, that sometimes that's really where the ideas are. It's more about recognizing that's something everyone knows that we should try to dig into. Do your investigators have beats within investigation team? We do. We've been starting to do that more because the team's grown some. Um, and it's something Mark Katchis, our editor, always sets up and really believes in. Um, but the beats are kind of intended to give you a place to start and like um, some room to roam um, more than like very tight things. And I'd say probably of the people we've got, about half of them are working on something related to their beat and half are just on right now a project that was the right thing for the skill set. Because I find that, you know, having beats at least helps a little bit with sourcing, right? Because otherwise the whole world is your oyster. Like, where do you jump in? Yeah, I really like, I mean, I I like, when I'm reporting, I like having a topic. I like having something to kind of zoom in on. Um, I think it's sometimes not, I don't know if it's always what you want. You you don't want to be constraining your investigative reporters so tightly, but it's a heck of a lot easier to find something to do, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 
So we were going to walk through this rubric. Adam has a rubric. I have a rubric. Um, for kind of uh, trying to figure out the uh, the potential for certain ideas. So let's let's start with the first one, which is, can you show me a body? So this is one of the best pieces of advice I ever got um, when I was starting to do this. I got it from Michael LaForgia, who used to be an investigative reporter here, although he probably got it from someone else. Um, but it's so much calmer and easier if you're starting your investigation with something that went wrong, right? And sometimes you'll see young investigative reporters and they'll be working out a theory or they'll be they'll be uh, aiming for something that uh, could be true and be really interesting it's true without evidence that something went wrong. So the first thing I'm looking for on any investigation, if I'm going to get really excited about it, is show me a body, right? Whether it's a literal body or it's a data point that just is off the charts or, you know, um, this uh, something exploded somewhere, right? I mean, you know, starting from... Um, and, you know, a good example of that for us was um, a couple years ago, there was a big explosion at uh, the Tampa Electric Power Plant. And so just, you know, the first, when that first happens, right, you're starting with, well, something exploded. And either that's usual or not, but I, and I think five people died. Um, so you're kind of coming out from that idea of, you know, starting with something really concrete that is definitely a problem. But in that case, you don't you don't know going in necessarily that it wasn't anything more than just a simple accident. But but yeah. to your point, then you know something went wrong, right? <laughs> and the questions once you've got something bad that happened, the questions you can ask are kind of somewhat formulaic, but also pretty easy to look at. Is there regulation? In this case, there was very very little regulation, and initially we thought maybe that's the story, and then we got into it, and um, it became clear that. There's very little regulation around this because power plants are pretty safe and people almost never die in them. And so suddenly you're saying, okay, well, if power plants are pretty safe, if things like this don't happen often, how did this happen here? Going back, were there investigations? Were there inspections? Were there other things that could have prevented this before that happened? To that, to the question of, you know, can you show me a body? Do you have some some talking point? Basically, you're looking, is there smoke here somewhere? But you're still also considering how bad it seems from the get-go. Like what, you know, I, I think we've talked a lot about vetting ideas and how um, sometimes reporters launch into something without thinking it through enough. And, you know, that's your process then too. Like you, you want to make sure you're picking at this idea and sort of like, is there enough there there? Yeah. I, I don't like letting an investigation get too far until we can point to one really bad thing that happened. Right. And if you can't point to one really bad thing that happened, you're kind of casting about in the dark. And we do get tons of tips and some of them sound kind of bad, right, about, well, there's mismanagement and they could be spending money more effectively. But that's kind of fuzzy. Right. You're not you're not putting me on something really bad. And so I'm kind of I like to be able to start with something and trace out from it. Do you reporters um, get a lot of their ideas from tips? Like, What's your percentage of they find something versus they hear something from a reader or a source? That's such a good question, and I think it's uh, 50-50 probably. I mean, I know some stories started from tips, um, and some stories they're kind of just looking at the world and asking questions. So another of Adam's questions to himself and to his team in identifying possible ideas is, does this happen often? And you've talked about that a little bit with the the accident scenario, but you're thinking – yeah, is this a one-off or is this a pattern of behavior, right? Right. I mean, you're trying to figure out the difference between an uh, unavoidable tragedy because stuff goes wrong in the world and something that's happening over and over and over again that could be stopped. Um, or or also, and we'll kind of get to this a little later, but is something that's happening that um, other people know how to stop. 
So, so when you're looking at, so you're starting with that one thing that went wrong, right? And then you're saying, how often does this happen? Right. And um, you're trying to figure out a way to, and, and, and sometimes I think when people hear how often does this happen, they're thinking like, you know, our team does some pretty sophisticated data work and they're thinking we're doing really fancy data work. I mean, like counting, like usually, you know, like half the time it's like, well, can you find 10 cases? For like some that? journalists, that is fancy. <laughs> yeah, counting. I mean, and does it happen other places, right? right? I thought that was so, in in the Heartbroken series, it was so great to have the context of what other children's hospitals records, track records were. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so hard sometimes to know what is normal, right? So, so sometimes when you're looking at this, you know, uh, can you show me a body idea, right? You're trying to figure out, um, is this something that happened a lot? Um, and you're also trying to figure out, you know, there's some amount of chaos in the world and stuff goes wrong all the time. And you're trying to separate uh, what's the normal amount of chaos um, from uh, what what's the stuff that really is problematic that we could do something about. So your third, uh, going down this list, so you're thinking about, are people being hurt? Are they vulnerable? And can we find them? Right. And, and I mean, these... To me, these first few steps, right, are very interwoven, right? I mean, you start with one bad thing that happened and you're pretty much immediately saying, oh, did this happen more? And especially like when I kind of referenced stories that start from newspaper clips, that's how they happen all the time, right? You read a clip in the newspaper or you see a report or you see a government report and it says um, a child was sexually assaulted at a summer camp or, or a sexual predator was operating a summer camp, right? And it was a story I worked with Michael on in Palm Beach where you kind of start with one of those and then zoom out from that and say, well, how, did, how does that happen? You know, and you see it happening more and more. Um, and then I also think if you can't find, sometimes there are victims, but you can't find them. And that's one of the things you want to come to really, really early, right? And, and then the last thought on the vulnerability piece is, you know, I think uh, we want to always look broadly for stories, but I think for the I team especially, it's more our job to look out for people who can't help themselves. Um, so it's less, um, you know, we, we at least here spend a little less energy on trying to solve, you know, problems multimillionaires can solve by suing the heck out of someone, right? I mean, we're, we're trying to find um, stuff that hasn't gotten attention and hasn't gotten exposed, and that usually is because there's a big power differential in the world. But well, I'm sorry. I was going to say, sometimes the victims, well, oftentimes I think the victims don't want to talk then. How do you convince them that they should be part of this investigation when they've already had this awful thing happen to them and it's not going to help them at that moment? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I'll say something you're really good at, right? And I've seen, I've, I've heard you talk about it. Um, and Kat McGorry, who I know has been on the podcast, is really good at it. Um, I think you're trying to explain to them um, why it's really important. And a lot of the time you're saying, look, I just want to understand what happened. It seems like what happened to you is really, really problematic. And I just want to understand if that's happening more. And I think often um, with the best sources in those situations, um, they care about that right they they know because it was so awful what happened to them the idea that maybe that's still happening and someone's going to go find out is important and the other thing i'd say that we do see sometimes is um you know we'll see cases where people don't know what happened to them was part of a bigger thing i mean that was a really big part of the all children's story you mentioned right was a lot of the moms and some of the parents in that story were very certain that something wrong had happened some of them kind of didn't know and in the midst of this kind of tremendous personal tragedy, you know, you don't, they're not heart doctors, right? And um, what we see a lot is, you know, we'll be reading someone's medical records because they give it to us and uh, we'll see problems and they don't know about. And that happens more times than you think. 
I wanted to hit that just that note too because I think it's so important sometimes that um, someone has a good idea and they're chasing after something and yet they don't have access to people who humanize the story. You know, getting back to heartbroken, you guys started with this big data analysis, but if you hadn't had those families um, and you couldn't have brought it home, you know, and, and all the things you just talked about where some of those people had no idea that there was a pattern of things going wrong here or that somebody did the wrong thing with their own child, you know, um, without that, the story is still important and valuable, but it doesn't, you know, knock you around like, like it did when you actually have families talking about what went on. So, and I, I think reporters are very, like, you get, you, like we've talked before about falling in love with their idea too soon yeah. and, and not um, really picking at it early before you invest way too much time in something, making sure that you're going to get that payoff. I always, I was going to say, I think sometimes it's also offering these people that the understanding that this isn't going to bring your child back. This isn't going to bring your dad who died in this explosion back, but maybe it'll help somebody else not having to go through the same thing. You know, you can really appeal to people's altruism. I think when they've gone through it on the other side, it's not, it's not going to fix them, but I think the best investigations make sure that things like that don't get replicated. Right? I think it has to. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's at some point not an investigative story if there's no potential that things could be different, right? Uh, I mean, maybe maybe the potential is people did things they shouldn't have done to begin with, right? But that I think that's one of the things, and they are phenomenal. I mean, you know, and sometimes we'll do explanatory stories or narratives, or I think there are other... Uh, I think there's other high-impact journalism you can do when you get to a story that doesn't have those elements. But some of these tests are figuring out, are we doing an investigation? And if it's going to be an investigation, it needs to hit some of those. And, and inspire some kind of change, hopefully, right? Hopefully. Um, so you talk about, did someone powerful enough to be worth our time either do it or knowingly allow it to happen? Yeah, so one of the things we talk about a lot and think about a lot is, so then you have to kind of get to the accountability piece, right? So you're moving from, I have something, you know, you've got the body, something wrong happened, right? Someone's dead. Uh, you've got the scope. This is happening more than once. Uh, you've got the victims, and you can see people being hurt, and you can see the impact on people's lives. And then the last question we're kind of asking in this first stage, and the like, do we even see a story here, is, well, who did it? And can we get it to someone who did something they shouldn't have done? And um, I think there can be a temptation sometimes, too, to, uh, you know, I certainly, when I was a younger reporter, sometimes you're writing a story about something outrageous and you're kind of beating up people who didn't, don't really have any power in the world. You know, you don't want to, uh, there are sometimes uh, agencies that just have no money. And it's unsurprising that the agency that has no money isn't doing anything. They have no money, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and, and, and I, I think uh, this is about people, it's about institutions, right? I mean... Um, it's very, very easy for us, the Tampa Bay Times, a pretty big newspaper, to go beat up some little tiny agency somewhere. And I think we have to be thinking about people's ability to do something different and tracing um, up to the people who have the most power, um, because that's where the really, really strong investigations come from. So all these, as you're answering all these questions, if it's adding up, and you're, you're, it's almost like you're, oh, yeah, I got a body. It's happening all the time. People are getting hurt, and there's somebody we can hold accountable, right? Right, right, things. right. Yeah. And, and half the thing, too, um, a decent percentage of the time, a story has these elements and you, people aren't pushing hard enough. I mean, one of the things I see all the time from reporters is they get into a story, they've invested a couple weeks, they're excited about it, and they don't want to ask some of these questions, right? Well, aren't they powerful enough? Like, come on, it's like these guys, <laughs> you know? And and for us, I, we really try to push past that and, like, have those really hard discussions because at the end of the day, 
you know, a story could be a good story without some elements of this, but if we can't find a single victim, we can't put a name or a face to it, either we haven't figured out how to report this or how bad could the problem be, you know? Talk a little bit about the process, about um, if I come to you with an idea, how long, how much research do you want me to have done before I bring it to you? And then how often do you want me to keep checking in with you until you go, yeah, let's run with this or, dude, this isn't going to work? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind digging ideas at the very outset. I mean, I'll, I, I talk to my reporters a lot, right? Um, but probably before we are seriously knowing if we're going to do something, there's going to be weeks of reporting. And then usually I won't green light it without a memo um, that uh, answers these questions for me and a few of the other ones we're still going to get to. Um, but I, and I also like to look at, I look at writing as very iterative, right? So for me, the, there's different pieces of the writing process. And the first part of it's so much about thinking, you know, it's about thinking through, do we have it and can we see the holes? So I push people to start putting stuff down on paper really, really early. And it's pretty rare that I'm going to let us go, you know, two, three months uh, without writing something down. Maybe, maybe six weeks though. We have the luxury of time too. Do other. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. People do this better. Is there an alternative? So talk a little bit about that. So that kind of gets to what we just talked about a second ago, right? Is that there are some really sticky, difficult problems in the world that are almost like, you know, large problems with society. And usually an investigation, trying to blame someone for a large problem in society is not a good investigation, right? I mean, it, it, you can't really um, criticize people for solving a problem that there's not a solution to. So we spend a lot of time and energy thinking about, you know, if we're going to write about something, how something's happening in Florida. Well, does it happen differently in New York? Does it happen differently in Texas? Does it happen differently in Arizona, right? And we're going to spend a lot of time, um, you know, or if it's a local problem, how it works in different parts of the state, the hospital story, how did other hospitals do it? What is, you know, what are the rates at other mm-hmm. hospitals? And, and that's a really important step for us. And stories will fall apart of that step sometime because at the end of the day, if, if you're, and, and, and I should say this, right? I mean, sometimes that's a sign that you're just trying to do an investigation when you have a different kind of story. So if, if you're looking at an example of something truly wrong in the world, but uh, it's happening all over everywhere all the time and no one knows how to fix it, and it's basically like a American policy problem, right? A lot of great explanatory series work like that. It's a great other kind of story, mm-hmm. but it's probably not going to work for us in an investigation because it's going to be very, very hard to get to that holding someone accountable piece and knowing who you're holding accountable. We get a lot of stories on you. Adam and I have talked about it where, you know, people come at us with things like, oh, wow, it really sucks to be poor. Yeah, right. great. <laughs> okay, right. that's not, you know, yeah, that's not an investigative piece. That's <laughs> I'm not even sure it's an explanatory piece. Right. But, um, yeah, so people they need to take it a little further. Um, you have, would we also have a story if the opposite were true? So this is one of my favorite kind of mental games that my reporters probably hate uh, as we kind of get into a story, right? I think sometimes you look at a story and you're talking through the pieces. And one of the important questions to ask yourself is, if if they had done the exact opposite thing, would we also have something that sounds equally outrageous? 
And this actually happens a lot, especially when you're in some of those murkier policy areas, right? You know, if you're writing a story saying that the parole board is letting out tons of people who then reoffend, well, what story would we write if they were letting no one out, right? And uh, you see that a lot with stuff around um, social services, and um, but but it's a real it's a real thing, right? I mean, sometimes you're looking at something and it's like. You know, you'll see in two newspapers on opposite ends of the country the same day, basically the opposite story. You know, they're taking kids away from the parents too often. They're not taking kids away from the parents enough. Right. And that happens all the time. And that's not to say that both those stories can't be right. They can be right. But it takes work to get at that. And it takes solving some of these other issues to get at that. And which is the better story, right? Thinking about that's an interesting way to look at it. Think about the opposite and see what how, how yeah, it feels. What do you do with that, though? Like, how do you prosecute that? In terms of your example about taking kids away is great because you get both sides of the coin. The Baker Act thing, too. It's like, is it better to put kids away to get them help or to not put them in handcuffs when they're little? Like, how, how does that work in terms of, like, what your reporters do with that? It's really hard, and some of it gets to some of the other things we're talking about, right? So, so it, that is often works best if the thing you are writing about is an outlier, and you guys have both heard me go on and on about this, right? I mean, if, if you're writing about the place that is worst in the country at something or does something more extremely than anywhere else, that can really help. Um, a superlative it, of some sort. I, I think so. I mean, what you don't want to be writing about is a, a story about a place that's exactly in the middle um, that is doing something that is ma- that is a really tough decision, you know, and they're making it. And um, you just can't kind of crisply get to the other side of, well, if they did the opposite thing, would it be a police state? You know, and then that happens a lot too sometimes, right? I mean, I think you have to be a little thoughtful about the fact that, you know, people like living in Florida because there are no t- low taxes, right? I mean, there's no income tax. And I'm not saying that factors in, in a huge, huge way in what we do. But sometimes if the solution is, well, you could spend $100 billion a year, well, it's not going to work, you know? Right. So I, I think I think uh, this is something we actually do a lot. And we sometimes will drop stories because of this. I mean, just because there's not a, we can't quite get through to the other side. Um, or you can kind of report your way through it. How often does that happen? Like if you could put, had to put a percentage on it, what percentage of the ideas do terms people of what cut, you cut your losses? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say many, many ideas don't make it past the first few stages, right? The number of ideas that make it to the point where we spent, you know, a month or two on it and we don't do are pretty low. Um, it happens sometimes. It's happened a few times. It almost always happens because we failed one of these tests we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there was a story, and we, you know, once I know we did get deep into a story and then realized that the more we spent time with the scope of it, the more we realized that we were writing about a systemic problem that we weren't sure the math supported it was a problem. I mean, you know, but but that happens, you know, sometimes, but not like a ton. It know? feels so incumbent on, a pus, incumbent on us now with the industry as small, so much smaller than it had been to make good choices, you know, because if we run at things that don't have that payoff, then, um, you know, it feels like we're wasting some of our effort. So well, and that whole adage about the newspaper comes out tomorrow is, is fine if you're doing dailies, but when you jump into it for six months or yeah. a year, yeah, yeah. a lot more at stake. I mean, almost always the really, really vexing things when everyone gets really stressed is when we don't solve these problems early. Right. And most of the reporters on my team are eager to kind of have these problems talked through and solved early, right? Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to get six months in. Um, and there's nothing like getting six months in and looking at a draft and being like, wait, there's this big problem we haven't thought of, uh, which we try not to do. So under vetting, you have, do we have a sharp theory that would make a good story and plan in writing to prove it? 
Yeah, so this is a little, I guess that gets the memo thing we were talking about, and maybe it's a little later on this list, I guess, than I described it. But um, I think that uh, a lot of the process we're going through, there's tons of reporting, right? But we're also kind of constantly thinking about what would our nut graph be? And I mean, whether the story, how strongly the story does it. And we talk about bullets a lot, right? We've had this conversation. We're going to have a whole podcast episode I'm one excited time. excited about this. Adam and I are going to go head to head on whether we need bullets in stories. <laughs> but, yes. Whether we do or don't, right? I mean, the, 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 the thing that we're trying to do is make sure we can say very simply in a sentence, maybe two, a very simple, pretty declarative sentence that some entity, preferably some powerful entity, did something concrete that sounds bad, right? And we are kind of constantly refining that and refining it and talking about it. And it's a theory at the beginning, right? And then you're piling up the kind of foundational pieces of evidence you need to prove that over the course of the reporting. And that pretty pretty early on, we want to get that theory into writing. We want to um, show and then show a roadmap for how to do it. And And so when I said earlier, like, I don't like to go too long without a memo, I think like if you're like, you know, four weeks of reporting, fine. Maybe six weeks of reporting, fine. If you're doing something that's going to be six to eight months, which is probably not most people, but our team does a lot. But pretty much after that, I want to see, like, what do you think is true? Can you show me some of these elements? And how are you going to go get it? And don't you think that when they do that, too, it like forcing a reporter to put it in writing and, and to really think through the best possible punch they've got here, um, it just, it, it, it can either really get you jazzed up or it can really say, wait, no, um, I, I don't see it. Uh, it reveals problems, right? Yeah. It also, it helps me a lot because I'm running three, four projects at a time and looking at a couple others. So like, I can't, like, it helps me to like have something I can sit with and read versus sometimes I think reporters think they're going to sit in my office and tell me something. I'm going to immediately know the answer. Like, I don't know the answer to anything. I don't even know what I ate for lunch today, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, um, and the other thing that I find helps a lot about this actually is, by the, you know, then a few months later, these can be real centering things. And sometimes, you know, on the really long projects, I'll push for us to do rounds of this or we'll edit it, you know, we'll edit the memo and we'll start to sharpen our nut graph months in advance, right? So we're saying, well, this theory doesn't seem sharp enough because it seems to me like you're saying that uh, this incredibly underfunded agency messed up and everyone knows that they always do that, right? And so let's talk about that. Is that really the person we want this story to be about? Is mm-hmm. that really the way the story should go? Um, so yeah, it's an iterative process. I like having things in writing. And it could shift you. Maybe maybe you change the focus then, or you you know, you know you shift gears before you, d- you spend too much more time. And one thing that's really important in my mind too is about this entire thing is, look, we, we all, the story is always changing. It's always shifting. I've never worked in an investigation where what I thought was true on the first day is what we ran. And so really the entire process is trying to keep you in, keep you on a path to finding something that is the truest, best story. And I think sometimes people, you know, and people think when we talk about this, there's a risk. They think you're trying, well, you know, twist the story and something it's not. No, we don't know. We never do that, right? Mm-hmm. The story has to be a hundred million percent, right? Because at the end of the day, if it's not, I'm going to be in really big trouble. <laughs> uh, but but there is this process of this is about getting, this is, this is why you can sometimes write an investigation vigorously because you've thought about what is a vigorous thing to say, and then you've done the work to really, really, really sustain it. Most, A lot of my reporters don't like bullets, but I make a lot of them write them, even if they don't run them in the paper, so they can see the logic train, right? Because you're trying to make sure that if you're asserting four big things in the nut graph, you have the five pieces of evidence that add up to those things. 
And that can be in a memo. It usually mm-hmm. is. Do you have them put those bullets in while they're still theorizing about what the story is going to be? Like, in other words, the time says learn, blah, 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 even if maybe we haven't learned it yet, just so you kind of know what they're looking for? I mean, those early memos are sometimes written a little more hypothetically, you know, we think. That's what but, I was wondering. But mm-hmm. they're also like, uh, you know, you're writing a news copy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and if you could, you know, we, we, think, um, we think the number of heart, the number of deaths in the heart surgery department have sharply increased, right? I mean, and, you know, here's how we're going to go figure that out. We're going to go get this data set. We know this paper did this. So it's also procedural in a way, what what they're going to do. I think that's really helpful, like what we need to do to make this investigation happen, not just what we want to find out. Yeah, we look at a lot of stories as like, you know, what are the legs on the stool, right? And if this story has three real things you have to nail to make it make sense, you need the three legs on the stool. And how are we going to get those? And for me as an editor, I'm incredibly relaxed as long as we are building a stool that looks good. And uh, we know how we're going to build it, you know, and if we don't, it's, it's when we, the foundational thing is like, we must go get this piece and we don't know how we're going to get it, that I get more nervous. So let's finish up with the last thing you said under vetting was, what's the worst thing that could happen for the world and for us? <laughs> yeah, uh, we talk a lot about the minimum story and the maximum story, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of a lot of the decision, I think the final piece of the decision is to think before you really kind of move on. And the memo helps you with this a lot is, uh, you know, what's the, what's the most important story that could be here? What's the worst thing that could be happening to the world? And then what's the story we pretty much have already? And um, what's the worst story we could walk away with? And, and, and that also, like you kind of said, Lane, it's iterative, right? I mean, you're always going back. And, um, you know, what you want to see as a reporter is the minimum story approaching the maximum story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the maximum story goes up and sometimes it goes down and you learn things and it changes. But... Um, if, if you're, and occasionally you will embark on a story where the gap is really, really, really big. Usually that's because the story has a lot of potential and you just might not ever get it. And we'll invest two months into something like that happily. If, if it's something where the max is really, really high, what I'm never going to do is invest two months something where the max is not really, really high. Right. Um, cause you know, at that point you should pick something with a better minimum. All right. On that note, um, if you have a question for Adam or Lane or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. And you can find Write Lane now on Facebook. Please join our group and leave thoughts, questions, suggestions. We'd love to have more of a conversation with you. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Marta Asensio Ryan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 